across the land. Evil should not have the upper hand. A podcast will kill this wicked blight. A mighty guild of geeks arise. Welcome to Culture Zoo episode 16. I'm Levi. And I'm Rosalind. And uh, we are kind of doing something special for our summer season, um, as we're calling it. Um, we are going to be uh, doing a podcast roughly once a week on the films of Hayao Miyazaki, uh, the kind of lead animator, uh, the head of Studio Ghibli, if I guess if you're familiar with Studio Ghibli, you're probably familiar with Hayao Miyazaki. <laughs> um, these podcasts are going to be a little bit shorter. We're not going to go into the the plot depth that we usually do, but um, I thought it'd be an interesting thing for us to do this summer. Yeah, Just uh, take one uh, take one director and go through all his films and talk about him. And uh, Hayao Miyazaki is a favorite director of mine. Yeah. So, Raza, so what, which I which films have you seen? You were talking about before. So I, his films are ones I always want to see. Like mm-hmm. I'm always like I really want to see that one, but they're hard to. I mean, now without video stores, like <laughs> yeah. unless you know how to get movies, which I don't. Yeah, if they're um, not on Netflix. Yeah, or, like or, you can't be like I really want to check these movies out and go get them. Yeah, and a lot of the movies you want to see, you know. You have like Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, yeah. and then you're kind of. Yeah, Amazon Prime is probably a good one. They have a pretty good selection if you want to rent it. Yeah, and you can rent, I guess. I yeah. just realized you can do that. But um, my yeah, Spirited Away was the first one I saw. And that really, came out a long time ago. That was the first one I saw too. Yeah, but it really captured me. It was probably one of my favorite movies in high school. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. and I had the soundtrack. I was really hmm. into it. And then, away. Yeah. Um, I think and that was a lot of people's introduction to his, yeah. his stuff. I think it was mine, too. Did, because was it the first one it that won was an translated? Oscar. Oh, it won, like, Best Animated, Film, or Best Animated Film Oscar. And it was, like, Disney at that. I think that was the first. Yeah. I was aware of Hayao Miyazaki from Princess Mononoke beforehand, but Disney wasn't distributing it. And it was right. PG-13. So I was like, right. that just kind of looks weird. Yeah, you know? totally. I didn't go see it. But then um, Spirited Away was uh, the first one that I think got Disney. like Disney decided yeah. to put out. Yeah. I don't even think they put it in the theaters, though. No. I just think they put it out on a DVD with like an English dub. If you showed it to me or did you show it to me? I don't know. I yeah, think I maybe have. Ian showed it to me, my uh, friend Ian. Sounds like an Ian. It movie. does. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like he may have showed it to me or you. I don't remember. Yeah. But I remember really loving it. Yeah, I yeah, it was one of those films that like yeah, when I saw it, I was like, wow, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. I was immediately like, that was kind of like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, yeah, it Um, is. Yeah, it just didn't really fit in any real category. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't know what I I started. I don't know what I started, but I've watched all his films now. You have, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, so I've watched them all, and the reason I wanted to do this is for there's a couple reasons. Um, One of the things I think is really interesting about his films, especially for an animated film. Um, is that they're all kind of similar. Mm -hmm. They all follow like similar, I mean, not totally. Um, I mean, some of them are like fantasy. Some of them are kind of science fiction. Mm -hmm. There's a few that are very like just real historic, like just plain like slice of life kind of stuff. Okay. Um, Sorry. (laughs) My drink bounced back in my nose. (laughs) Um, 
but uh, they're they all have very similar themes. Like that, you st- I think we'll start to pick up on as we watch them. Yeah. Um, there are certain things that kind of recur a lot, um, and also like for an animated film, they're very like personal and are like personal yeah. feeling. They yeah. feel much more like like say like a Disney movie. Um, you know, you can tell, even though there's really good Disney movies and not so good Disney movies, mm-hmm. but you can tell they're all done by like a committee. A team, basically. for yeah. sure. There's, yeah. there's not like one artistic vision behind it yeah. that's really, you know, writing the story. And mm-hmm. it's like, it, they're not very personal films. They're yeah. very like calculated films. Yeah. Sometimes they're really good, but they're always very calculated as to like, okay, we, you can tell we have our demographic. Yeah. We have to get these kind of butts in the seats. Yeah. And so we're going to have these characters. We have the female yeah. interest. We're going to have the hero. Yeah. We're going to have the comic relief to make sure everyone's laughing, you know? Yeah. And so they're like yeah. film by committee. Yeah, and it's sure. like, you have the best talent in the world working on them. Yeah. So, I mean, it works, but it's not, um, they're not like personal stories. For sure. It's not like the Walt, I mean, maybe yeah. Walt Disney, when he was still there making movies, it felt yeah. a little different but even so I think his dream was more of yeah. like to make beautiful animation yeah. and to tell stories but he the story itself wasn't yeah. necessarily personal to him yeah, it was so more the animation it is fascinating how like um so there's there's a documentary that I highly recommend. I totally spaced on the name, but on um, Studio Ghibli, mm-hmm. and it is a it's so different than like a Disney film where it's right. very small production. Interesting, you know, like Hayao Miyazaki is literally like animating, wow, I like picture drawing it like, frames, huh. you know, and it's like. It, it's it's a very small like personal kind hmm. of work of art kind of the way it's done. I mean, he has supporting animators and all this stuff, obviously. But so is is it big over like is it like Disney? Well, it's big in Japan, yeah. But I mean, but like it's Disney on a sm- such a smaller scale, yeah. I think they're pretty popular over huh. there. Like but that's what all the kids watch. I think so. I'm not sure though. I'm, I know they're popular films over there, but. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. There in his films, I've watched a lot of other Ghibli films too, um, that aren't um, aren't, aren't yeah aren't okay. his. Like the most depressing film in the world is Grave <laughs> of the Fireflies. Literally. Oh, I think I remember you talking about that. Yeah, I never have seen it, but the plot just depresses me. Like the synopsis on IMDb <laughs> sends me into a I coma. Just can't. Yeah, yeah. There's like funny memes like on the internet, like like thanks Studio Ghibli, I'm going to go kill myself right now. <laughs> I mean, and so he didn't direct that though. So we, we're spa- we're sparing ourselves <laughs> that that one. But there, there's it. also yeah, um, there's also just a number of different like um, his son has done some films. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the the Wizard of Earths or Tales of Earthsea, which is based mm-hmm. off of like a fantasy series, which I really liked. But I, apparently, it was a bad ap- adaptation, so oh. it kind of bombed. Oh. It's not a bad film, though. It's actually worth watching. And then there was um, one of my favorite films last year was a Ghibli film, uh, When Marnie Was There. Yeah. I've heard of it. And it's funny because, like, that was a movie, like, I watched and it, like... It's animated? It's animated. And it's this trippy story about this girl who's, like, a very troubled girl. And she starts to, like have these like strange like encounters with this other girl huh. who you're kind of like she she goes to stay in the country this is totally off subject yeah. but she goes to stay in the country and um this she starts to meet this other girl kind of randomly huh. and so it's the, the, their relationship starts developing like right. what's going on here yeah. is this girl a ghost is she in her you know it's yeah. just a weird thing and that movie like when I saw it I was like oh my gosh that was like an emotional punch in the gut okay. I was totally unexpected huh. and 
It was great. It was okay. one of my favorite. It, it may have been like one of my favorite movies of last year. It was up there. So it like, seems like that Ghibli uses animation yeah. for like a different media than we would. Yeah, but such a different. Yeah, so different than like your typical mm-hmm. animated film that you'd see here. Right. Um. Anyway, so back. Um. So back to how many talking. The other yeah. real thing I think that these recurring themes that kind of show up in his films are. Um, Certain things that maybe kind of are they're they're almost like fairy tales, mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, they follow similar patterns. Really dreamy. Yeah, they're very dreamy, but they also um, actually um, they, there's a couple things that I think are really interesting. So I've been reading a lot on the sublime lately. I don't know if you're familiar with the the term sublime. The band. The different. No, yeah, <laughs> the difference between beauty and sub, sublimity. No. So. I'm not sure I can explain it very well, <laughs> but, um, some like beauty, like the different, like beauty is something like pleasing ordered, mm-hmm. but, but sublimity is something that's terrible yet beautiful at the same time. So mm-hmm. like a thunderstorm is sublime. Okay. A hurricane is sublime. Something huh. that's overpowering. Um, and like a garden is beautiful. Okay. So there's this interesting distinction okay. here. And I find that his films have kind of a hint of that in a weird sort of way. Mm-hmm. They're, they're much more, they're not beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. they are, but they're more sublime, hmm. and, you know? And so it, interesting. Yeah. And they also always have, generally they have moments of a term that Tolkien came up with. I'm <laughs> very into this lately, um, which is called, uh, he called eucatastrophe, which hmm. is kind of a common element in a fairy story. Hmm. Um, so, and that's why I think it's worth actually talking about, um, like fantasy. So what is your exposure to fantasy? Um, I think I found myself loving fantasy with Tolkien Mm -hmm. and my Tolkien obsession in high school. Like, um, it was, I don't, I don't know if... You had a Tolkien obsession. It was it was a, a hard very Tolkien deep obsession. Of Tolkien obsession. You fell for Tolkien like, hard. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've forgotten more about Tolkien than most people have ever known <laughs> yeah. about Tolkien. Yeah. Um, but I think there's something really amazing. Maybe when you're young, I don't know to mm-hmm. um, to like leave our world, but then leave it and then find mm-hmm. like um, truth and like good yeah. and evil and yeah and and to me i think that's why i fell so hard for tolkien is it was mm. like you could really honestly just like it's a whole universe it's a world yeah. and it's something that you can dig so deep into yeah that was like if you things- need to dig deep into something go for tolkien yeah that's an interesting thing so i think you know i think a lot of fantasy today like quite frankly like sucks right and then yeah. i found other fantasy i was like yeah. i think i like fantasy i'm yeah. gonna start reading fantasy and i was like i don't like anything else yeah if you go to like walk into your sci-fi and fantasy section at a bookstore and it's awful you can understand why this genre doesn't get a lot of respect it's gonna be like a lot of cheap thrills yeah with, it's like, like buxom women mm-hmm. and like like, you know, mm-hmm. warriors and you open it up and they're like drinking mead and there's winches <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's just kind of, and it's all really derivative too. Mm-hmm. That's the other of thing Tolkien. I find. Yeah. Of Tolkien <laughs> yeah. where it's like, Oh, here's the Gandalf character. Here's the dwarf character. And we're going to like make up a language. Yeah, and exactly. It's going to be a cool map. It's like, no one has really gotten past Tolkien. Yeah. I feel like. Um, I mean, he really set the agenda, but no one is kind of, I mean, with some exceptions for sure, but on the whole, the genre 
hasn't really progressed much. I don't no. think. And I, I don't think it's all pale. like to read it anymore. Yeah, I think it's all pale sure. imitations. Yeah. Um, with just a lot of stupid cliches that are except way... for Eragon. I mean, that one hit home, right, Levi? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Christopher Paolini is the second coming of Tolkien. Um, and also, I think just um, intellectually. You know, there's there's a certain thing of like, well, fantasy is escapist. It's not. Right. It's like low literature, right? right? Like you you read it to escape. Yeah. You know, and um, and for some reason that seems to be a negative for some people. You know, and like hmm. like we're not getting the real world here. Hmm. But but it's interesting for for Tolkien. Um, the fantasy genre. He always said it was something like one of the really important things was that it was true, hmm. which. It's funny because it's like fantasy by definition would seem yeah, not, not to be true. true. But what he meant by that was that it was consistent, yeah. that it was that it created a world that you could step into. Right. And that wouldn't um, that was true to itself, like internally. And I mean, and obviously Tolkien really believed yeah, he that. He took that to <laughs> the extreme. Well, that's why he didn't like the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. It was because he would say, th- like, what really bugged him was, yeah. like, Father Christmas showing up. Yeah, you're like, this isn't right. Yeah, he'd be like, and I got to hand it to him, yeah. that is a weird part. In, <laughs> so in Santa what, Claus. Yeah. But I mean, like, I get was, that. But, I- but he'd be like, well, there's yeah. no Jesus in Narnia. Right. This is, okay, yeah. you know, how do you have Christmas in Narnia when you don't have Jesus? <laughs> how does true. this work? You know? Yeah. I could see like how different yeah. him and C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Were. And and so Lewis, it, it, consistency wasn't as important for him. Right. But for him, like a, a true fairy story was something that had its own logic yeah. that... And that think, didn't constantly take you out of it. It was a world you could yeah. step into that it wasn't constantly showing you that it was all an illusion. I think you've said that before. Like yeah. we've when we've talked, like a book has to obey its own logic. Mm-hmm. That's all. Like you can't yeah. step out of your own logic. Yeah. You have to stick to your rules. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. a whole different subject, but I get really mad at Harry Potter. Harry Potter's really I'm bad like, at that. <laughs> yeah. No, Harry Potter's a, a something that like creates all this logic. Yeah. And then it breaks the illusion yeah. often because it'll yeah. you'll, it'll have total lapses in its own internal logic. Which makes me so mad because I love Harry Potter so much. And then, mm. like, I reread the series just, like, a couple months ago. And it was like that. Like, I yeah. want so bad to enjoy it as much as yeah. I always have. But then I'll get so mad because yeah. the logic is broken. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the thing. Like, I mean, in Harry Potter is a great series. Yeah. I think that's the thing about it though, is like you, you can read it and you feel like, Oh, this could exist. Yeah. Maybe the, one of the best books other than Tolkien that does that is Jonathan Norrell and Mr. Strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I literally read that book and I was like, was is there this? actually like a history of English magic? <laughs> like, are these people real? It is like, so yeah. it has, the, she does so much yeah. to make it feel really like a good. real like world that yeah. she's doing. Um, and Tolkien is that way too, yes. where it's like, you can, I mean, if you the amount better, of work yeah. he put into making a consistent history and universe, um, yeah. is astonishing. Yeah. And I think that's why with him is because it's a world that never shows you like its edges. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you just keep going and going mm-hmm. and going. Um, okay. So that, these are things that Tolkien thought were very, um, you know, important. And I, I think also what you were talking about, like seeing things like, the good and evil mm-hmm. sort of sort of aspect, mm-hmm. um, and I was thinking about this. Like, it is interesting. Like, and Lewis obviously really embraced this too. Um, and I think you know how Miyazaki, on the other hand, he certainly has an agenda in his films yeah. as well that he's using 
like fairy Mm -hmm. tales to get his agenda across. Yeah. I mean, which is like a very environmentalist agenda. Right. But and it's interesting because so I had an experience once where, um, gosh, some guy from the John Muir Society when I was working out my yard, like came and was like basically harassing me, like trying to get me to donate to the John Muir Society. And I'm certainly not like anti-environmentalist like, or anything no, like kill that. Kill the whales, kill yeah. them all. But it was such a, it was like the Jehovah's Witness uh-huh. of like an environmentalist uh-huh. like brand. Interesting. And it was just so annoying. Yeah. I was just like, get, you know, I'm busy. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you about this. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't want the environment to be destroyed, but I don't yeah. want to like debate the like different policies right now. Either. Yeah. I just want <laughs> you to leave me alone. Um, and so, but so, so it's a, like, there's, there's very, um, obnoxious ways right. to tell, to tell your story. Right. And especially if they're like, you know, and because so much of like our modern conversations are so politicized, so yeah. right and left wing yeah. and, you know, you have all this baggage that I think fantasy and fairy tales are a way for us to like hmm. set aside all of our baggage hmm. and kind of examine the, these thoughts from a very, um, just a fresh perspective. Yeah, nobody's on the defensive. Yeah. You're like watching an animated film. Or yeah, or you're reading a fairy story yeah, and it yeah. it basically holds up. It's actually a really interesting way to present an idea hmm. without all the baggage of our like of everything yeah. that we have in our culture. Yeah. Like all, it, it gets you past all the like f- the barriers you've set yeah. up to just kind of almost consider like, no, the I don't idea. listen to that person. I yeah. don't like that radio show. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. Like, Oh, that's liberal or yeah. that's conservative sure. or something like that. Um, and just shutting it down. Yeah. Huh. And instead it's like a way of just like kind of looking at this from a fresh perspective. Yeah. And I think the best fairy tales kind of, it, it lets you kind of s- look at the world mm-hmm. in a way that, um, in kind of a purer way. For so sure. It's yeah. an interesting way thing of doing it. Yeah. And I think uh, the the thing that Tolkien also said, and this is also the reason I connected this with uh, Hayao Miyazaki, getting back to uh, the eucatastrophe. Oh, yeah. Which is this favorite word of mine that I never get to use. So. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know what, okay, you can explain it. And so his, um, his thing was that um, the, the, uh, the eucatastrophe is a sudden turn of events that changes everything before it and bring but yet it was all leading up to it huh. yet it changes everything before it and it 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 uh huh. brings everything together in a joyful resolution oh, wow. so it's kind of the happy ending right. in a sense but it's so for him that was when Gollum destroyed the ring right okay that so his whole story changes. so something evil right something evil actually was the force that was, was the force that actually destroyed evil. Yeah. In this weird yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also, and so it's, it's this joyous kind of joyful twist huh. as, as all the, everything is conspiring to fail. Interesting. Like, but the, the things that are causing the failure is actually, the force that is bringing about like the victory. And it's like when the beast gets stabbed by Gaston. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like that would be one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, huh. yeah, so I, I'm actually just going to read about this because it's uh, there's a paragraph here. It's a little bit long. I hope, I hope you don't mind. No. But um, it's worth reading because I think... Is this Tolkien? This is Tolkien from his essay on fairy stories, which is a very good essay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So he says, but the con, I should probably read it in a British accent, but I won't, <laughs> but the consolation of, I picture Tolkien being a little more nasally though. I do too. And kind of quiet. Yeah. And I picture him having like a ton of spit in his mouth. Yeah. Like one of those, like, um, like the guy on the documentaries of Lord of the Rings who does the drawings was yeah. is it Alan Lee. Yeah. That's how I picture him talking. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So he says in On Fairy Tales, on You Catastrophe, but the consolation of fairy tales has another aspect than the imaginative satisfaction of ancient desires. Far more important is the consolation of the happy ending. Almost I would venture to assert that all complete fairy stories must have it. At least I would say that tragedy is the true form of drama, its highest function, but the opposite is true of fairy story. Since we do not appear to possess a word that expresses this opposite, I will call it eucatastrophe. The eucatastrophic tale is the true form of fairy tale, its highest function. The consolation of fairy stories, the joy of the happy ending, or more correctly, the joy of the good catastrophe, the sudden joyous turn, for there is no true end to any fairy tale. This joy, which is one of the things which fairy stories can produce supremely well, is not essentially escapist nor figurative. In its fairy tale or otherworld setting, it is a sudden and miraculous grace, never to be counter, counted on to recur. It does not deny the existence of discatastrophe, of sorrow and failure. The possibility of these is necessary to the joy of deliverance. It denies, in the face of much, much evidence, if you will, universal final defeat, and insofar its evangelium, a feeling of a giving a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. It is the mark of a good fairy story of the higher or more complete kind that however wild its events, however fantastic or terrible the adventures, it can give to the child or man that hears it. When the turn comes, a catch of the breath, a beat and lift of the heart, near to or indeed accompanied by tears, as keen as that given by any form of literary art and having a particular quality. Even modern fairy stories can produce this effect sometimes. It is not an easy thing to do. It depends, oh, here's the part I highlight in bold. It depends on the whole story, which is the setting of the turn, mm. and yet it reflects a glory backwards. In such stories, when the sudden turn comes, we get a piercing glimpse of joy in heart's desire that for a moment passes outside the frame, rends indeed the very web of story, and lets a gleam come through. Mm. Uh, and then he has a poem um, that I think is an example of this, but he says, Seven long years I've served for thee, the glassy hill I climbed for thee. The bloody shirt I rang for thee, and thou wilt, and wilt thou not waken and turn to me? He heard and turned to her. Mm. So that was the essence of the fairy story for Tolkien. Gosh, I love him so much. I know, isn't he a beautiful writer? Yes. I mean, yeah, he's so like earnest. Like yeah. he's trying so hard to yeah. explain himself, and he devoted his life to tell yes. one story yes. that had that moment. Yes, right? yeah. like you just gotta love the guy. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and so. Um, and so he, and I love that it depends on the whole story, which is the setting of the turn, and yet it reflects a glory backwards. So it's, it's like the whole story is redeemed. The, in this the one whole moment. story changes in that moment, mm -hmm. and it reflects backwards to the events beforehand. Mm -hmm. So you can see that with Gollum and yes, the like how much Gollum had yeah. been through, and how many times they should have killed him, and yes. like, and it's Bilbo showing mercy yes. to him, and he's huh. this horrible character. Um, that's so broken and, and just twisted. Disgusting. Yeah. And but at the end, he is the resolution to the story. Hmm. Um, and he saves Frodo. Mm hmm. 
Hmm. And the world, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah he says, yeah. Yeah. In, in this weird sort of way. So, um, so anyway, so that, hmm. you know, th- that is Tolkien. And that was, I think, that's why I think I'm very interested in, um, in the kind of the story, uh, the stories of Hayao Miyazaki, mm-hmm. because I feel like most of them have that moment. Yeah. Not some of them have it more than others, but they are all, they all have a moment of like kind of sublime beauty and kind of eucatastrophe mm-hmm. where it is, you know, the story is resolved in a very poignant, beautiful yeah. moment. Um, and kind of everything comes together. These hmm. very strange plots that are all moving in different directions yeah. that have characters that you don't really understand yeah. or you don't know if they're good or bad. Yeah. Everything's kind of revealed. And by the end of it, like what you think is going to happen at the beginning of the story yeah. is different, but it's but it's not disconnected. Like the end yeah. of the story is very different usually. Yeah. So um, tonight we watched the first movie, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. Um, and this is one of those these films like... It technically it's like a post-apocalyptic film. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, so this made me think a little bit um, about it. You know, is this a fairy tale or is this a post-apocalyptic film? And mm-hmm. so you have like like typical post-apocalyptic films are like um, they kind of fall into different categories as I started to look at them. This mm-hmm. is a so this is a genre that appeared kind of after World War II. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I mean, there was some of it beforehand right. a little bit. Um, but, but nobody had thought about like the end of humanity or, or not humanity, uh, like society. Yeah, I mean, that. after World War II, you had you know you at least had a, a plausible. We had we had reached a level of technology where mm. we could theoretically wipe ourselves out. Yeah, you know, so that's a sc- yeah. People probably looked around after at the, the atomic destruction bomb. Yeah. that had happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had like something like 80 million people killed, you know, in a war. And then you had these insanely powerful weapons yeah. after that. Yeah. So that's the kind of genre appeared, yeah. you know, of people asking, well, what happens? If you know, humanity wipes themselves out. You yeah. know, and it's um, hmm. so like there's there's the like Mad Max and Wally are two mm-hmm. recent post-apocalyptic films. But those oh, yeah, are kind Wall-E. of like environmental apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So those are like there's not any bombs have been dropped, but it's more a just the environment has given out and the world has gotten to a much harsher place. Mm-hmm. Right. I haven't seen Mad Max. You haven't seen Mad Max? No, but I hear they're so good. Uh, yeah, they're all kind of different. The latest oh. one was really good. Okay. Um, zombie apocalypse. Love that. Super those. popular right now. <laughs> um, and so that's, yeah, so that is, again, it's a genre of almost like, you know, zombies, but it's more disease and kind of yeah. things that are out of our control. And what I, I thought of zombie apocalypse for a minute during this movie, because what ends up happening if you get into them is the zombies aren't the problem anymore. It's yeah, the people. It's the people. So yeah, it kind thing, of yeah. feels like, I think you see that a lot yeah. of time in those type of genres. Like yeah. the zombies are just driving the plot or the disease is driving mm-hmm. the plot. It's the people now. Another popular genre, like planet of the apes, not the newer oh, ones, but the uh, older ones is like a nuclear apocalypse. So like, Oh, those you know, were the older ones. Yeah. Okay. Where, you know, the statue of Liberty is buried in the sand. Yeah. On yeah. The seashore. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so, or that's a very you know popular genre, like where you have like a nuclear war Mm -hmm. and then, you know, how people survive after that. Um, and then there's the Terminator and the matrix kind of genre, which is the robotic apocalypse. So the kind of technological, remember that. Yeah. Where you, we create something (laughs) that turns on us basically. I mean, they all kind of have similar, they're all are very similar themes in that 
you know, they're, they're pessimistic. Mm -hmm. They're very pessimistic about the future. Like they're anti-Star Trek. Like Star Trek is the optimistic, Look at us. you know, it's like, yeah, it's like the, it's the sci-fi or the futuristic vision that the enlightenment would Mm -hmm. have you believe, Mm. you know? So like post-apocalyptic genres are kind of anti-enlightenment in that all this progress that we're doing is actually the seeds of our, we're creating our own destruction. For sure. It's not something that, you know, we're progressing towards disaster. We're not progressing towards a more enlightened. I want to see world. one where it's like scientists create a corn, a GMO <laughs> corn that like takes over the world and eats humanity. Yeah. yeah. And the interesting part about this too, as you think about it, is um, they're pretty grim usually. Mm-hmm. Maybe with the exception of like Wally, even that's kind of a grim children's movie. Yeah, that kind of made me feel weird. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I had the happy ending, there was no. Yeah, I was like, "This is really sad." Yeah, it was kind of dark. Um, so they're kind of they're very grim because they are inherently pessimistic. Um, and a lot of the times, like it seems like the way that the character, the protagonists win in those movies or stories is either through like kind of like a nihilistic Superman kind of thing, like a Mad Max situation is like. It, you're boiled down to this like mm. primal core and you're, you just become this strong yeah. creature yeah. fueled by rage that has huh. risen above like everyone else and kind of the zombie apocalypse you're a little bit too. You're just the strongest one. It's yeah. Like it's survival like, of the fittest and strongest exactly. and most fierce. It's like the way you survive is becoming this, you know, Superman kind yeah. of f- character. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, or kind of like a humanistic morality a little bit. So like Wally would fall into that, the matrix a little bit that where it's like, usually this is when you're fighting robots or aliens (laughs) that the answer has always been the soul that, you know, like humans are, you couldn't defeat our spirit. You had the, you had the bigger guns, but the human spirit triumphs at the end, (laughs) you know, and that's kind of, it seems like it kind of goes into two morals. Either humans are the problem and you just kill as many of them as possible (laughs) or humans are the answer. Humans are the answer. (laughs) And it's that little spark we have inside all of us that you just can't snuff out. You know, there's that really cheesy, like turnaround moment. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just, it kind of depends on who you're fighting. Mm-hmm. If, if, if it's a robot or an alien, the human spirit is the, the, the secret spirit. weapon, or if it's a human, then you just kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the secret <laughs> to winning. Um, so getting to Nausicaa, so this is kind of a post-apocalyptic setting, yeah. but it's, it has neither of those. It, um, so we just watched right, Nausicaa yeah. right now. So yeah. what were your thoughts, General Roslyn? I, I really liked it a lot. And I think, um... It was post-apocalyptic, but it was different than anything I'd ever seen because... Mm -hmm. It's like very post-apocalyptic. Yeah, because it's like a thousand years after society crumbles and it was, um, it, it seems like like a, a bat nature took over like nature they couldn't yeah. survive with nature yeah nature and them were in opposition because the forests were toxic to yeah. the people so they're fighting the forest because they're toxic to them yeah. which is kind of odd yeah essentially the the um so in a, in a nutshell the plot of Nausicaa is um that you had what essentially are, are kind of a metaphor, I think, for nuclear weapons, but some sort of right. huge weapon that humans unleash. Pollution. Yeah, but it's it was so bad that, you know, it just pretty much destroyed most of the poison of the earth, this weapon. Right. And they're these big walker creatures. Um, and they... Uh, 
It's a thousand years after that. Yeah. And now okay, mankind so is they in, were the weapon that poisoned yeah, the earth. Basically. I didn't quite catch that. Yeah. I thought they may have been like some sort of gods or something. Yeah. No. So they were the, yeah, but they, they were the, these, the seven walkers. Huge, yeah. These walker okay. creatures who came through basically just wiped everything. out everything. Yeah. And so the surviving humans, um, like a thousand years later, um, it seems like they're, you know, they're kind of on the fringes of survival Yeah, and, um, they're, they're what is of, of essentially evolved is these huge insects. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of mammal life. It seems like, no, it's all insects it's really and, cool. um, and these poisonous jungles, mm-hmm. um, and these jungles, as they grow, they kill humans. Yeah. So the humans are being pushed further and further into the fringes of where they can survive. Um, and they're still fighting each other. And they're trying to either revive, either destroy the jungle, mm-hmm. um, destroy these insects, or they're also trying to um, resurrect these old weapons that they've to that like ended up wiping the out the world to kind of reassert power yeah. over the world. And um, Nausicaa is a princess in this very, very small kingdom. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of caught in the, between these warring other kingdoms, mm-hmm. basically. And um, and so it's it's a very early film of studio. Yeah. I mean, it's like their first. It's so this is funny that the history behind uh, Nausicaa. Um, it wasn't a Studio Ghibli, but they bought the rights to it because it was pretty much a Studio Ghibli yeah. film, even though it wasn't like originally under their name. But in the 80s, there was a version, an American version that was like on TV oh. that was really weirdly edited. It was like called Warriors of the Wind. But it was this film. It was this film, but totally re-edited, right. really poorly edited <laughs> together. Like that was put together huh. like for like American TV. And Hal Smith, John Avery Whitaker, no was the narrator and also the voice of Lord Yupa. Was it Yupa? Mm, oh, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah, the guy, the Swordmaster. Oh, my goodness. So that goodness. was just a weird connection. Yeah. How odd. Yeah. Well, the voice of the kind of like the little, um, I forget his name already, the guy who drives the ship in the end. Yeah. Okay, I swear he's from Pocahontas. Okay. He, I yeah. think he's the well, chief in Pocahontas. Well, Corey Burton is in all... He did, when they do the the uh, the dubs, there's... Um, Isn't Corey Burton from Odyssey, He's too? also from I, Odyssey. I actually have... He's, yeah. all, he's like a million Crying people. Crying by Endurn, yeah. Yeah, but he's like Shakespeare yeah. and... Yeah, so he's in all over these Ghibli dubs, I didn't too. hear him on this one, no, You'll hear him. He's a, he's a lot of just like the background chatter voices. Okay. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so th- there's a lot of good voice talent. You have Patrick Stewart. Who was Patrick Stewart? You said He that. was the, uh, the Lord Yupa. Yeah. But who was he? Uh, who else? What's he in? Oh, Star Trek. Oh, he's, okay. uh, Professor X. In the, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's Captain Picard okay. from Star Trek. Um, British, uh, actor. And uh, uh, Mark Hamill was in this too. Oh no way! Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of good voice talent. It didn't in this have one. the credits in English. That would have been fun. It would have been everybody. nice. Yeah. yeah. But it's funny too because I think the thing is like the soundtrack feels very dated. Yes, like it's so 80s. Yeah. There's moments in this. But pretty. Film. Still. It's pretty. Yeah. It's kind of remind me of Labyrinth, where it's like yeah. obviously dated, but still really holds up. And it's, it's funny though because Studio Ghibli films or, or Miyazaki's films are they have different kinds of soundtracks. They almost are a little bit jazzy hmm. or something. Sometimes they're hmm. not. Really really like your typical like 
Disney orchestral. No, they don't sound like Disney. Very um, operatic or Broadway Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, kind of show tunes kind of stuff. Show tunes. Yeah, Yeah. show tunesies. I guess the way you'd put it. Disney, yeah. Um, So it's almost like you'll have like noodling piano (laughs) over it, you know, then then they have like orchestration in there, but it's just of a different type than a Disney film. So that's another. Yeah, not something you can like sing along to. Yeah, not real catchy themes and melodies. Yeah. Um, but, and then in this one, you have that, and then you have moments of like yeah. heavy 80s yeah, synthesizer. Just, yeah. just synthesizer. It's almost like someone turned on a video game, <laughs> yeah. and it's a little bit jarring sometimes. Yeah. So it's like, or it sounded like, like, um, yeah. I don't know, like, yeah, like an 80s, like 16 Candles or like Breakfast Club or something. Like, it's like a Breakfast Club soundtrack. Yeah. So I think this one doesn't really, I mean, it is post-apocalyptic in its mm-hmm. setting, but it has more of a flow of a fairy tale yeah. in... Or like a medieval tale. Yeah, exactly. In like, so Nausicaa is clearly the protagonist, mm-hmm. who's the princess of this uh, this small kingdom. Um, and she really is like a very typical Ghibli character mm-hmm. in that... Um, you know, she's a girl for one thing. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot, a lot of, of girls. Huh? There's a lot of girls in um, in Miyazaki. I keep saying Ghibli, but I'm really talking about Miyazaki. Yeah. But he uses female protagonists like for the majority of his films. Um, and he's probably, he the way he does uh, female protagonists is probably one of my favorite. Yeah. Because they're, they're always very feminine. Yeah. They're never like masculine. Yeah. But they, um, so they have very feminine qualities, but they're also like really... Um, complex characters um and uh and you know very like so so nausicaa in this story she's she's noble Mm -hmm. she's gentle Mm -hmm. brave but innocent and messianic you know Uh is kind of the Uh story you know so um she's she's a and and she's dealing with the the fact that she's surrounded by a world that's very very violent Mm -hmm. and early on in the film she kind of gives into violence where she's mm-hmm. going to kill this person. And that's kind of hanging over her head. The rest of the film is yeah. like that. There's got to be a way to solve this to, to, you know, resolve every, all these different conflicts without mm-hmm. resorting to just everyone killing each other, yeah. which is kind of, you know, to what this, people have been doing, yeah. which is what people have been doing. And it's also interesting in that you have, and I think this is one thing that fairy tales do a really good job of, but you have, kind of being noble and brave in the face of decline. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, so, so like an action hero, what they, what they will do in in a typical film is, you know, they'll assert their dominance over all the forces around them. Right. Yeah. That through their sheer power, they will overcome, Mm -hmm. you know, through. It's like they win because they're the strongest. Or they're, yeah, or they're the, like a James, you know, yeah. or not James, not James, yeah, James, James Bond, Bond. I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cleverest, has the best weapons, yeah. Yeah. most resilient, yeah. and it's all about them being dominant over all of their adversaries, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's something that Ghibli never does. Mm. Or, is it, or if they do, there, there's a point where their characters will be tempted with that. Right. With that option with that the they could option. go that way. Yeah. But they always reject it. Yeah. And it's much more about hmm. learning the other way right. through through the story, hmm. finding the path through the story. And that's almost kind of accepting all of the different things that are going on mm. and not and and even kind of submitting to it a mm-hmm, little bit. Mm-hmm. But in that sense, like winning, like if you think of Spirited Away, mm-hmm. 
you know, it's the story of the girl like being completely thrown into a different world. Mm -hmm. And instead of like overcoming it, she becomes a part of it Mm -hmm. and she accepts it. Mm -hmm. Like that's how she ends up saving everyone is by accepting it and, and not reacting like and and getting past her initial reaction to that whole world where it's like, Ooh, there's an evil witch. Ooh, this is super freaky. Ooh, this is, you know, there's all these horrible spirits around here and there's this evil spirit eating everyone, you know? And it's like, but instead of that, she just kind of learns to be calm in the face of all that and just work hard and, you know, be calm and, and just kind of do the right thing yeah. and keep her head down a little yeah. bit. That's like one of my favorite aspects of Spirited yeah. Away. It's like, I hate when I'm reading a book and yeah. the character cannot get over the fact that they're yeah. in this story. Yeah, exactly. I've read books where it's like, you have to spend so much time with them accepting yeah. stuff. And it's so frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite aspects of Spirited Away. She's like, okay. Yeah. She never is like, this can't be happening. Yeah, she has moments of freaking out, but it's all, but like the way she wins in yeah. that story is by accepting the yeah. world that she's mm-hmm. in and like living by its logic. Yeah. You know, and, and kind of diving in and like loving the people there and yeah. caring about what's going on. Not constantly saying, this isn't real. Or I want to go home. Or yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, and I, I, that's actually a theme, I think. Uh, that that comes through a lot in a lot of Miyazaki's films is that you don't win by just being the most powerful person. Right. You win or through, asserting yourself, or over just and asserting over again. yourself yeah. and being the most. And, and another key thing, and this comes out. This is the first time you'll see this, and it's really yeah. his first feature film. But um, a major thing that'll always happen in in, mo- in his films is that the person you think is the villain initially turns out to be not. The good guy right. at the end, right. but they're much more sympathetic and by the end of the, the story. Villain. They're not yeah. hateful. They're actually yeah. really sympathetic people yeah. who yeah. you actually kind of go, oh, they were they were good all along, yeah. or they were misunderstood. Yeah. And initially, you're going, well, this person needs to be defeated. Yeah, this person needs Kill to be them dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but it turns it on its head because yeah. you have these moments by the end of the story where you're like, oh, that person at all wasn't, right. you know, or even if they are doing the wrong thing, you. You understand why they're doing it. Yeah. It's because they're scared yeah. or because... Um, they're trying to protect something. Yeah, they're just yeah. much more complex hmm. than than we typically will have, either yeah. in Western films or... I don't know if this is... A, a, or you animated know. films. Yeah, or, or just animated films. Because, I mean, so in, in this film, the the main antagonist... I forget her name, but it's uh, the the other princess, right? Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I should get I should get her name up. But, it's hard uh, with the foreign names to yeah, keep everybody. These are very straight. elaborate names, yeah. but yeah, the the antagonist in this film is another princess who's the the leader of this kind of warlike, mm-hmm. very you know aggressive country, right? And so she shows up. She kills. She's basically responsible for killing Nausicaa's father. Yeah. And um, you think, oh, this is the bad guy, right? Yeah. This is the person who's always going to be like you know doing the evil thing. And yeah. by the end of it. You just kind of get that she's not evil. Mm-hmm. She's scared. She's, you know, she's, trying to, she's trying to survive. Yeah. She wants, you know, she wants humanity to survive. And 
you know, she, she shows compassion at times, you know, she, she shows good judgment, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, she's just a more complex character than well, you're initially Well, same with thinking. the poison forest and the, yeah. um, what are those, the alms? The alms, yeah. Because they're really creepy and you're like this poison forest, like it yeah. should be burnt down. And then you learn throughout the story that the forest is actually cleansing the earth. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's, that's a kinda, spoiler, no, but. I mean, that's the big twist of the, I'm not the, it's not a huge twist, but it's, it, it's, it's happens revealed like midway halfway through, through is that. The, the poison forest is actually cleansing the earth. And the reason that these bugs are so aggressive is to protect the yeah. forest. Every time people try to burn the forest down, they destroy the people who tried yeah. to do it completely, yeah. just wipe it out. But the way it's the forest has evolved to cleanse mm-hmm. it and then the bugs have evolved to protect the forest to let yeah. the forest do its job. And that's one of the things I, I think is very interesting about Miyazaki and a lot of fairy stories is that they... They provide a really good critique of modernism. Right. This idea that mankind mm-hmm. is on this path to kind of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we can scientific, you know, science is the answer to everything. Mm-hmm. And if we can just science, the more we can apply science to everything, right. the better things will be. Um, and I'm pretty, I mean, I... I'm modernistic in some senses. I'm not anti-science, but yeah. I think the overall project of modernism has been a disaster. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think, you know, there's some things about postmodernism that, you know, I would agree with, but, but overall, if you look at, you know, the results of modernism have been horrible. Right. You know, we've had horrible wars. Yeah. We've had, um, you know, we have, uh, you know, weapons on a scale that, you know, we have pollution. I mean, so, so to be environmentalist is in a sense to be somewhat anti-modern, right. you know, I think it can, it can get out of hand, but in this sense, you know, the answer to the world's, you know, the, the world's, um, problems is, is not, you know, through humans, you know, reasserting their technological yeah. dominance over everything. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's, that's kind of, you know, the, this, uh, a lot of the times this, this will happen where this comes up in Miyazaki's films where it's this conflict between, you know, technology, industry, mm-hmm. and, you know, nature, mm-hmm. right. And kind of the role humans play in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, getting back a little bit, um, you know, this is kind of a messianic story. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, what did you think about those elements? It was interesting rewatching. I was like, oh, there's a lot of kind of Christian connections right. here a little bit. Well, because she sacrifices herself. Yeah, she dies and comes back to life. Yeah. You know, she dies and comes back to life. Yeah, yeah. she does. And she's the savior that is a fulfills a, fulfills a prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was really interesting. So to me as I, so, so yeah, that's the plot, kind of the resolution and kind of the, I guess you could say the U catastrophe mm-hmm. in Nausicaa is that all these, you know, these warring armies kind of come to a head and, um, what ends up happening is that, um, all these bugs, these ohms, mm-hmm. these giant bugs are going to kind of wipe out the last pieces of humanity or, I mean, essentially, you know, the, the, her whole kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she puts herself, you know, she basically turns away the attack mm-hmm. through sacrificing herself. Um, and the the creatures, these ohms, recognize that, you know, kind of through this sacrifice, mm-hmm. um, peace is made with humanity mm-hmm. in a sense. And um, she 
she brings peace between through through her you mm-hmm. know peace is brought to humanity and that's and that's the interesting thing so if if a if a messianic if a messiah is supposed to bring about reconciliation um you know you know so like Jesus right it's a different it's a different thing so like in christian theology mm-hmm. You know, Jesus brings about reconciliation with God. God the break is with yeah. God and man. Yeah. And as a consequence, man and neighbor, and then man and the earth mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So you have all these relationships breaking apart. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, in the Messiah, the, uh, you know, in Jesus, God and man are brought back together. Mm-hmm. And then man and his neighbor are brought back together. Mm-hmm. And then man and the earth mm-hmm. and nature are kind of all restored, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this... So that was kind of the interesting thing to to look at this from, you know, a Christian perspective mm-hmm. of, you know, in this story, you know, the, the break is not between man and God, but between man and nature, man and nature. Yeah. Right. So that's where the, the, the tear has happened. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's where Miyazaki will kind of see the conflict, mm-hmm. um, you know, that many of his stories will be facing. Yeah. Um, hmm. And uh, so in this story, the Messiah brings about reconciliation between you know um nature and man mm-hmm. um which is but it, it was interesting just to kind of look at this from you know because i hadn't really picked up on like the christian themes in this yeah i i'm you know miyazaki i would assume is a buddhist or right. whatever you know <laughs> he's not a christian you know. but but he there's definitely whenever you get into like a, a messiah kind of hmm. fairy tale it's hard not to, to do that, that yeah, you know for sure um so, so Nausicaa in many ways, probably more than any other film is kind of a Christ figure yeah. that I've seen, um, especially in the sense of how she again, resolves this. Yeah. Um, you know, she doesn't resolve the situation by being the strongest yeah. or, you know, asserting her dominance yeah. over everyone. She, she submits in to the weakness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Through, you know, she submits to the kind of the forces around her yeah. and in doing that reconciles everyone to right. each other, you know, which is an interesting, it's a, it's an interesting uh, story and it definitely has that moment of kind of twist. Yeah. I think I really like women or girls as the protagonist. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because I'm a woman, but I think like, um, I don't know. You get that. <sighs> That like I don't know the woman I feel like have mm-hmm. a better perspective on certain things mm-hmm. in their um, ability to see more than one side of an issue mm-hmm. and to like empathize like those are kind of characteristic feminist type of traits like yeah. empathy compassion and nurture nurture all those yeah. things but when you have them in a leader it's just interesting to me mm-hmm. and it's satisfying to me in a yeah. way that's more satisfying than like the man just being the strongest or whatever. Yeah, you know? Like a Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> yeah. which is the stupidest movie I've ever seen. I seen <laughs> but I, I mean, and this is totally off subject, but yeah. I really enjoyed Ray as a, as a uh-huh. hero because we've only really seen, you know, mm-hmm. male Jedis and to see yeah. the way, like the feminine aspect of power and how mm-hmm. a woman handles power. What does she do with it? Like, yeah. how does she, and, and I don't know if it's just me thinking this, but like women tend to have a little bit more, they can have more self-control and less of a temper in ways yeah. and are able to see through issues clearer because of mm-hmm. that. And so I think that when you have all those characteristics in the woman who is the protagonist and has 
the the power and the authority in the story. It's interesting mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. I like it. No, I totally agree. I think, and I think when you do it right, because right. I've talked about this before, but typically a lot of the ways guys will yeah. try to write women is they, they, they write them, them just like men. Yeah. They will like, we'll put a man in a female's body. Yeah. And like the big moment of like, Oh, isn't she cool? Yeah. Is when she like beats up some guy right. and you're just and like, <laughs> so, it was like, yeah. And it's like, okay. So that's not how you like, that's not how it's a woman really cool behave, when you usually. make a woman strong by making her like play by feminine. Yeah. Rules. And her feminine <laughs> rules. Exactly. Yeah. She's still by feminine. behaving like a woman. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But in a very like authoritative and like, yeah. Not even authoritative. That's not even right. But just sticking to the rules of the feminine. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's how she is. Exactly. She's she's a character that wouldn't work if she was a guy. No, because she understands these creatures, these insects, instead of just being like, kill them all dead. You know, she's, which the other princess does. Yeah. So she's kind of the male of the story. Yeah. But... Yeah, even she has kind of this cool elegance yeah, to her that, yeah. you know. And I think that's the thing I like about Miyazaki, too, is that he, you know, it's not like his his stories are driven by, like, the girl just wants to get the guy. Right. Or, like, yeah. she... They're all, like, he... For whatever reason, he, he clearly knows how girls right. and women behave. Yeah. Like if you watch Totoro, that's how little girls act. Oh, I haven't you know? seen that one. You haven't I'm seen excited. Totoro? No, oh, you're I'm in excited. it for a treat. But like, like when I watched it, I was like, that is how my little girls act. <laughs> right. That's how they, you know, he, he clearly is very mm. observant about those things, mm. you know? Um, and so it's, it is very refreshing right. to get into a story that, that does have just women a, a, in a female nice perspective yeah. that, um, that is in it, that it resolves in a way that if you had a guy as the lead, it, it wouldn't resolve in right. that way. Right. You know, you have um, to have a different insight, a feminine insight. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Um, yeah. So I think we'll see more of that as we go through this. Um, you know, maybe a few, one final thought as I looked at this is I, I do like, especially, and I think certain fairy stories are very good at this, but show you how that show you that, being right or, mm. or doing the right thing and being brave is hard to do mm-hmm. in that. Usually you're going to be in the minority when mm. you're doing that, mm-hmm. um, that, yeah. you know, and not to always just be the one who's the, you know, the stick in the mud, mm-hmm. but that when you, when the right thing to do or, or standing up mm-hmm. to do the right thing is often a minority position mm-hmm. and, and it's, you know, and you need to endure that with nobility and mm-hmm. bravery. Yeah. You know, sure. yeah. Um, and she's a great example of that in that you're these much larger warring kingdoms, mm-hmm. you know, are fighting and, and it's just like, you know, how do you, how do you resist this mm-hmm. while still being a good character? And, and many fairy tales will have that right. story. Which goes back to what Tolkien was talking yeah. about is like, what a beautiful medium to have these fairy stories. Whereas, in real life, the person standing up for good yeah. might never see that resolution, but will yeah. be defeated their entire life and die yeah. defeated. But like, it's really beautiful to use a fairy story to take yeah. this person and to give them a victory. And to, I think that's really satisfying to mm-hmm. us to be like, you know, victories we don't really because see Because it assumes in real life. that that person actually did achieve a victory, even if we couldn't clearly see it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, I think that's, yeah. You mean the person in real life? Yeah, the person in real life by and, doing the yeah. right thing and being good, even yeah. if we didn't clearly see how that worked out, yeah. that that in itself was a victory. Yeah. You know, and, we, and it should be rewarded. But to see it visualized in yeah. a story is really satisfying. Which is why I hate... Um, 
which is why I hate, uh, oh gosh, Game of Thrones, because it's taking, you know, it's, it's actually, it's, it's using fantasy, a, a, a genre that should be, um, huh. should be joyful. Right. And taking, instead making yeah. it nihilistic and horrible and disgusting. Yeah. It's like, it's like eating, you know, cake that tastes like salty cake or something like that. You <laughs> because know? you're taking a genre that should be used to promote beauty and Enjoy. victory, good over evil, yeah. because we have this and we can. like That teaches it, us how to yes. view the world in the right way and it instead tells you, you yeah. know, it, it tells you something evil. Right. You know? It just makes it, it's like, that, that must be why I hated that book so much. It made me feel so sick. Yeah. I only read the first one and I was like, what is wrong with people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it is so just like icky yeah. feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, there's, there's more to talk about with fairy stories, but yeah. any final thoughts on Nausicaa before we wrap up here? Um, final thoughts. No, you know, uh, it was really beautiful. It was really yeah, good. good. Good start for yeah, Hayao Miyazaki. For sure. Let's see what else this uh, guy has in store for us. So next up, is oh another favorite well i mean all of these are somewhat favorites of mine but have you ever seen castle in the sky that one i have seen oh you have seen castle in the sky i think okay. wait is that different from howl's moving castle no it's the same one because no, i, it I is know different. it is sorry it's different different yeah, movie completely different movie he needs to work on yeah. some different titles. this is another theme that you'll find and i don't really have any is house moving castle Kiyosaki? yep oh it is okay yeah this is something that i uh that I don't really have any, you know, soliloquies on, but um, a lot of his, most of his films are all about flying. <laughs> like flying fly. plays Everybody a major flies. role in Castle yeah, in the Sky. Yeah, I loved her glider. Like, yeah. didn't you want her glider? Oh my gosh, yeah. The way he d- draws flight is amazing. So beautiful. Yeah, every movie I've seen has flight in it. Yeah, and they're typically like these kind of fantastical like dreamy, flying machines. Beautiful yeah, flight. So, it makes you feel like it's swimming. Yeah. Like it's, but funner, yeah. way funner because you go fast. Yeah, which in real life, that would be terrible. But it feels really safe. Like, yeah. all of his flying feels so safe. Yeah. So, yeah, next week we'll do, uh, we'll talk about Castle in the Sky. Okay. Um, which is probably one of his more kind of conventional stories, I guess you could say. I mean, it's probably the most conventional story where you have, like, a villain. Okay. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Okay. It's a, it's a very lighthearted, fun movie. Are we going in order of his We are going in order. Them? Yeah, okay. so this would be number one. Number two would be Castle in the Sky. And then um, after that, we have Totoro. Okay, I'm excited. Excellent. Oh, I might, maybe I have that order wrong. It might be Kiki's Delivery Service. Okay. We'll figure that out. That one I've seen, I think. And I am going to slip in Whisper of the Heart, which he only wrote. He did not direct. Okay. But it is one of my favorite. Okay. We'll make an exception for it. We'll make an exception. Call it saying, because he's halfway responsible for that. Writing. I I think he's very responsible. So does he write and direct these other ones or just direct? Yes. Writes and direct? Yeah. Wow. Golly. I know. It's like so much talent in one person. It's okay. Anyway, um, yeah, so highly recommended. Um, we watched it with, how old is Jane? She's seven. seven? So yeah, I mean, probably seven years old. Mm-hmm. Enough. It's not that scary. I thought it was scarier as I remembered it. There's just a few. Mm-hmm. If, kind if of it creepy. A little bit creepy bug stuff. And, a little bit and of kind of like disgusting yeah. stuff a little bit here yeah, and there. That she watcher, was grossed yeah, out, I could tell. Everyone was grossed out by the watchers. The weapon people. Yeah, yeah. or the, not the watchers, the, uh, the giant warriors. Yeah. yeah. Those things were gross. But yeah, otherwise, totally kid-friendly, kid-friendly, worth yeah. watching. So They seem to like it. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, next week. Thanks, Ross. Next week, yeah. Your work here is done. Right on, Epic Cat. Right on. Culture Zoo is a production of One Drawing a Day. You can learn more about Culture Zoo and One Drawing a Day and all sorts of other things at onedrawingaday.wordpress.com. You can follow Culture Zoo for regular updates on geeky stuff at Podcast on Twitter. If you want to buy amazing t-shirts featuring our podcast logo, among other things, you can purchase them at store.culturezoo.com. 